Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Before you just go off and quit your W-2 day job, do enough of this to realize whether or not, first of all, whether it's your passion. And now you got to think, can I go from a job paying me X amount a year to a job that guarantees me not one penny? Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service. Here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you've got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. And we've spoken to, let's see, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, author Rich Dad Poor Dad, Jillian Michaels. Well, you know who she is, fitness guru. And today I'm very honored and pleased to say we're talking to a very successful entrepreneur. And obviously as real estate investors, we are all entrepreneurs. 
and he's going to talk to us about his journey and lessons along the way. How you doing, Brent Montgomery? Doing great. Excited to be on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Brent, and then he'll get into it in more detail. He is the CEO of ITV America. He's the largest producer of non-scripted content in the U.S., and holy cow, he sold his company or a large stake of his company he founded for an unprecedented $360 million. That right there is enough for us to have a long conversation with him. We only got a little bit of time, so let's dive right in. Brent, with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus right now? I started as sort of an entrepreneur from a very young age while a bunch of my friends were off playing hooky. I was selling baseball cards being asked by principals and teachers to stop selling baseball cards around the classrooms and running a lawnmower business. I learned a very valuable lesson with my baseball card business. Don't wait till sort of the trend is over before selling. So I accumulated a lot of cards and value, but then I still have those cards in my parents' house because the bottom fell out of that market. And didn't really think about doing television until I was halfway through college and just really liked telling stories. And moved up to Brooklyn from College Station, Texas, which is about as different uh, two places as there could be. And just kind of slogged along, worked for everybody else in town for a while. And then just had the sort of guts or stupidity to think I could do it on my own. Went out and did not really sell a show for six or seven years, but kept working for other people by day and doing my own ideas at night and on the weekends. And finally, sold a couple shows. And then in 2009... I created and sold the series Pawn Stars to the History Channel, which ended up being sort of the perfect show for me and for the company for a bunch of reasons. But we had a show that we could shoot a massive amount of. So it was almost like a subdivision of houses as opposed to just one house. And the show is still going. We have about 500 episodes in the can, which is about three or four times the amount of shows for other types of similar shows. And like any business, you don't want to be a one-hit wonder. We put immense amount of capital back into the business to develop more shows. And then finally decided to start buying companies and diversifying our portfolio in that way. So we bought the company that does Real Housewives of New Jersey and a ton of other shows and then started more labels underneath the banner. And then three years ago, I sold to ITV, which is a London-based media conglomerate who was looking to expand into the United States. So at that point, after about a year of being underneath ITV America, they asked me to run that group, and I brought my team with me. And so now I oversee about 100 TV series a year, ranging from Fixer Upper to Duck Dynasty to Pawn Stars to Hell's Kitchen to Queer Eye. We're doing a new property show with Bethany Frankel for Bravo and Frederick, who's on Million Dollar Listing. So now I'm mostly involved in TV, but my wife and I are becoming bigger and bigger real estate investors. So a little bit more fun for me to do this interview than just another <laughs> show. You mentioned College Station in New York City. The stark contrast, I went from Lubbock, Texas to New York City, so I can empathize where <laughs> you're coming from. I, and I would say Lubbock is even more of a stark contrast than... Yeah, you you yeah. went from dust to concrete, right? Yeah, yeah. Dust and cotton to concrete. Yes, absolutely. So 500 episodes, lots of questions that come from this, and I'll just go in no particular order. 500 episodes, a whole bunch of episodes for one TV series. How do you keep it fresh? The variety of what goes through that 
particular pawn shop was quite immense before we ever started shooting the show. When I went out there and met the guys for the first time, there were Picassos actually hanging in the shop and there were Super Bowl rings and there were so many interesting artifacts, which you can only buy and sell stuff in the pawn world if you know about it. Most pawn shops are gold, silver, and electronics because a monkey can essentially buy and trade those. But if you don't know everything or know people who know everything about a particular unique item, then you can get burned pretty quickly. So we were very fortunate to come up with an idea that was interesting, but it wouldn't have been anything without those specific guys who were historians by nature and curious by nature. And now we have a team of people who just look to really call all of the stuff that comes through there and really bring out the stuff that doesn't look like everything else we've shot. And so that variety is what we look at in trying to keep the spice. And also you look at what the audience likes. They like military stuff. They like sports stuff. So we try to super serve that kind of stuff on a regular basis. How do you find those, and maybe this one specific example or just in general your approach, but sounds like the idea was there, but it really is finding the experts within that type of programming that can deliver on the idea. So how do you find them? You know, it's probably like looking at a house where you try to have a little bit more vision than somebody else. And this would be comparable to a house in a really bad neighborhood. where They continue to be a part of the strip that nobody really wanted to be on all day, but certainly after six o'clock at night. And what we knew going in based on our research was networks weren't interested in a show about a pawn shop because it was considered lowbrow. So we took the approach of sort of what Giuliani did in Times Square. We went in and we tried to really light the store in a nice way, focus really on the corners of the store that had the nice stuff and not the pimp jewelry and the lawnmowers and, and other stuff. So we tried to clean it up. And then it became a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now it's in a very different area of Vegas. There's a lot that's been built around it. It was kind of the anchor tenant, if you will, in a section that now has had a lot of money invested in it. But in the beginning, the process was we heard that networks didn't want to buy a pawn show. We decided not to take that as a no. We decided to go out and spend our money. It was at a time when we didn't have a lot of money. We put about $20,000 into producing our idea. And then you go out and you shop it to all the different networks. It just happened to be, at that time, the History Channel didn't look like it does now. At that time, it was black and white. The biggest star on the History Channel was Hitler. Every time Hitler would be on, the network would rate really well, but it was a very old skewing channel. And as the main talent, Rick, likes to remind me, Rick Harrison, it went from Hitler to Harrison. And the ratings shot through the roof as a result. <laughs> so looking back at your evolution or progress as a professional, you've had some major career transitions. You transitioned from journalism to reality TV. And I asked this question because a lot of the best ever listeners are real estate investors who have a W-2 job, but perhaps they want to transition into real estate full time. What are some career transition tips that you have? It's interesting. My brother, who was a pilot and then got into banking, but had a real knack for flipping houses. And I decided to invest with him, but we went through this exact process. And he asked me because I did it similar early in the conversation. I was trying to run my own business. I had a little office, 
but I kept working for the man. And I think that's the way probably a bunch of your listeners are. And there is that tipping point. And that's what I talked to my brother about. Like I said, before you just go off and quit your W-2 day job, do enough of this to realize whether or not, first of all, whether it's your passion. And certainly he had kind of gotten to that point. But I said, now you, you got to think, can I go from a job paying me X amount a year to a job that guarantees me not one penny? It is really feast or famine based on how good you are at planning and organizing and building your team. I always like to talk about TV being a team sport and so much of what we do. And my wife now has left TV to go flip houses and do real estate as well. We have our pre-production plan. We have our production plan and then we post produce it in the edit. So it's a very sort of similar process. There's that big stretch where you bought the house, you gutted it out, and then it looks so barren for the next eight months, then all of a sudden it goes from a two to a 10 at the very end. That's what our post process is like. Mm -hmm. So what I said to my brother was, look, when you think you reach that tipping point of, all right, I did two or three houses a year. Now, if I was full-time, run the numbers. What do you think you have to do? 10 or 12 a year? And how can you do that? Do you need two GCs that you're working with, three GCs? What's your team going to look like? And when I say TV is a team sport, I feel like I try to reward my TV team more for passing the ball than dunking the ball. And when you have a team like my wife is now building out for her flipping business, it's just every single person that you can bring onto your team will actually affect your ability to scale. And I think also just asking people for your listeners, like you want to probably talk to six or eight people who know you and who can be honest with you and will tell you the good and the bad about your plan. I think everybody always sees like our show Fixer Up, or you can watch that show and those guys are best in class now, but there were years and years where they were struggling. And you have to look at your personal finances and your responsibilities. I started my business before I was married, before I had kids. I couldn't start my business in the same way now that I did when I was 26. Mm -hmm. I want to ask a couple more questions about your career, and then I want to talk about your wife's venture and flipping houses in your real estate stuff. You oversee 100 TV series a year. What are your main responsibilities right now? I used to be the guy that would come up with the idea, go out and meet the talent. Now my responsibility is to manage the business. And we're so much of the world is going from an analog to a digital world. And TV certainly is the latest content producer to do it. Music was one of the print media, music, broadcast television. And now we're in a world where the traditional cable markets are different than they used to be. So the scale, I think, for our business specifically has to be high. So my job now is to go out and try to broker new relationships with two key categories. One, the new OTT brands. We've got stuff going with Netflix and Amazon and Facebook and YouTube, and they're early in their days in the unscripted world, which is where we play. But really excited to have Queer Eye reboot as part of Netflix's initial rollout in that world. So that's half my job. The other half is to go work with these celebrity partners. There's just so much content out there now. You've got to figure out a way to really separate yourself. And traditionally, there's a layer of managers and agents and lawyers between the celebrities and producers. So if we can go and convince, like we have Michael Strahan or John Cena or Bethany Frankel or Lara Spencer to have these straight relationships with us, it really allows us to scale my business, which is what I'm more focused on. I'm the tip of the spear sort of looking what's ahead, but I had to have that amazing team that could actually physically run those 100 shows every year. And that took years to find a big enough team to do that. 
And then in terms of knowing when to sell a company, you sold a large percentage of the company you founded. How do you know when is a good time to sell? I remember my father-in-law once saying when the stock boys are talking about flipping houses or, or he used that example, but it could be any business, right? Then it may be too late. And certainly I had seen that with my baseball card business, which was a very small business at the time, but I was left holding the bag. And I thought there would be a 2.0 in our industry, but I thought I had to be a part of a much bigger conglomerate because the whole market's consolidating. You know, you look at Time Warner, you look at Comcast buying NBCU, the whole world's consolidating. And that's really important. I mean, the latest one is Discovery likely buying scripts, which is HGTV. So we wanted to be a part of something bigger. And that's when we sort of saw the tightening of the market. And our business is, is domestic and now becoming global, where many of your listeners are more focused on a very regional business, I, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now let's talk about fixing and flipping. Your wife has started the company and she's doing it, it sounds like. You've alluded to real estate investments. What are you two focused on from an investing standpoint? We've probably got about 20 properties spread between Texas, Los Angeles, and the New York City and Connecticut area. So it's where we spend most of our time. I have to be in Los Angeles every winter. Don't have to be enjoying <laughs> out there then. And Los Angeles is on fire. Connecticut is going through a rough batch because it's so tied to financial services. Texas is in a really good spot because it's a right-to-work state. It is a no state income. So many big businesses are moving into Texas that go well beyond gas and oil. Like if you look at Texas, when I grew up, I saw friends go from being really rich to really poor or vice versa because it was the one pony town in it with oil. So what we're looking at are sort of price point houses that feel like They're affordable to what we're seeing as people moving more into urban areas where we live in old Greenwich, Connecticut. There's several towns that you can walk into town and we like that. We've seen our friends like that. We've seen sort of a migration away from back country and mid country and these mansions that are a 15 or 20 minute drive to town. So in that market, it's crazy because you go to other parts of the country, a house that's two to $300,000 is one and a half to $2 million there. So the price points are fairly high, which means in success, the margins can be fairly lucrative. Where my brother's doing it, he's probably going to have to do more volume in San Antonio than he would have to do if he lived up here, but also his risk won't be as high. My wife is taking our playbook from TV, which is try to stay on schedule. You know, <laughs> in TV, we're not usually allowed to charge overages. So as people who've moved into houses and hired contractors and see how far off budgets and schedules can go. It was quite shocking. I'm sure to your listeners, it's not. But my wife has real talent to be able to get people to do things without coming across as mean-spirited. And that sort of taskmaster who can work collaboratively with everybody and, and communication, I think, in any business where you're taking six or eight different subcontractors And sometimes you'll have a GC who will manage them all great on their own. And other times you've got to kind of push and prod at every level without offending. And really for us, I've always gone out and said, hey, here's my ability. Volume is the key for my TV business. And if I can offer you as a GC or subcontractor in our world as a showrunner or producer, if I can offer you more volume of work, I can get you at a discount. So Mm -hmm. our ability to go out and say, look, we're going to try to do 10 or 15 homes this year. 
we're going to guarantee you that work. You can plan for your own life and your vacations. And that's our big sort of, uh, I don't know if to say it's an advantage, but that's our strategy is to go in and have the same people develop our team. And by the time we do our fifth house together, we should all really have a working understanding of how we all like to work with each other. What are third rails uh, as well? In fix and flipping versus investing passively in deals, you mentioned you were a lender with, I think you said your brother, right? Early on, on some deals or a partner. Why fix and flipping versus the different types of other ways you can do real estate? We're doing some passive stuff as well. I think it's more fun. It's obviously harder. I think we're gluttons for punishment. Yeah. But there is just something about after six months watching a TV show that you came up with that you think you saw the diamond in the rough. And I think for my wife, when her and her team, and we brought in a real estate broker, so we have a broker in-house to where we're taking away that repetitive cost over time and, and taking out, just having to work with six or eight different brokers. We wanted somebody working for us directly. But for those guys to find a house envision what somebody else might not have. And then at the end of the day, do those after shots. I'm not involved with my wife's business because I'm so busy, but I do the before shot. I go right when she buys it, I look at it and then I go when it's done. It's actually the best one. <laughs> Based on your experience as an entrepreneur and also a real estate investor, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My first house I ever bought, a big sucker sign on my forehead for upsell. I was looking for a three-bedroom apartment and bought a three-family house in Weehawken, New Jersey, which I found out years later the houses were built for the people building the Lincoln Tunnel, which was in the late 20s, I think. Yep. And the houses were flat roofs, and they were meant to last, I found out, years after buying the house, 14 to 15 years. This was 85 years later. My best advice is probably trust those inspection reports. I went back and I looked at the inspection report, which is a first-time buyer. I kind of glossed over every single thing they predicted. Went, if there was a sort of range of five to 10 of how bad it could go, they all went to 12. <laughs> but I learned a valuable lesson there, which was really go out and get a lot more feedback and information and trust from other people before you buy a place. I think it's so important now to look at what's happening at the macroeconomic level and where you live. And obviously, you mentioned earlier, my two favorite books, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad is my favorite sort of business book. And then Into Thin Air, which was my favorite non-business book. But everything that he talks about in that book is owning the process and I think vertically integrating your real estate business in any way you can to where you're not paying out fees and everything. When you feel like you can take that leap, when you feel like you can bring a GC on staff or you can just bring part of the process in-house will allow you to have sort of the bigger wins and also weather the storms of when the tough thing, everybody sees fixer up or other shows and thinks every house sells quickly. That's not the case. That is true. I often wonder about the portrayal, not necessarily of any show that you've got, but just in general, the portrayal of the fix and flips and the success rate that they seem to have on every one of the flips within the amount of time they flip it. I think for the most part, it's probably accurate, but you've got to think, these are people who have done hundreds of homes and made all their mistakes along the process. And if you're doing it as a part-time job, I think the danger for doing it as a W-2 player is you can't be on site. You can't have the sort of task whipping that team into shape like you could if you could be there on site every day. I'm sure most GCs are happy to not have the investor on site every day. But that really, I think, becomes extremely important. 
is as soon as you think you can dedicate full time to it and take that risk, then you're going to be able to really shorten the time frame on a lot of these properties. And your point is accurate. I think if you were to take a true sampling of all people fixing houses, the, the actual percentages of success would be dramatically lower than Chip and Joanne and stuff like that. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it first, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30-minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellin.com forward slash show. That's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N dot com forward slash show. All right. Best ever deal you've done that you haven't mentioned already? Good question. I would have to say getting into business with, I'd mentioned his name, but John Cena, who is a famous WWE wrestler, but like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, he's going well outside of his comfort zone now. And he's a guy who I sort of went into the meeting thinking this guy looks like, I'd say meathead with the most loving way. He looks like a superhero. And I expected him to be a jock. One of the smartest guys I've ever come across. One of the most Mm. deep human beings, 500 make a wishes, which is more than double anybody else's. So I thought I was just getting in bed with a great TV host, but instead it's just a great human being. It's good backstory. I had no idea about that. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that you haven't talked about already? I made a huge mistake in one deal where I thought we were going to be paying out pre-taxes. It was post-taxes and the amount of money was in the millions of dollars. (laughs) (laughs) get a second opinion yeah yeah so what was the result it all worked out fine because we were able later to sell the entire business and recoup it but it could have been really problematic yeah that would be a problem you talked about john and his make-a-wish foundation doubled than anyone else what's the best ever way you like to give back i like to give back but with time and you can teach somebody how to fish as opposed to just giving them fish. And so I like to teach that entrepreneurial spirit and spending time with young people. I donate money and do all the sort of passive type things. Lastly, how should the best ever listeners learn more about your company or your business? Where should they go? They can just Google ITV America. We've got a pretty decent website and we're on a lot of social media. And we're not as outward facing our brand, but our shows are our brands. But We like to think that we're coming up with the new crazy ideas. And we certainly love real estate shows in a good economy. Real estate property stuff rates really well. In a bad economy, comedy does well. So we're in a good economy. We're doing a lot of property shows, good bones, a lot of stuff with scripts, tiny house shows with FYI. But yeah, Googling ITV America is probably the easiest way. Some fascinating insights along the way. One of them was just that last thing you said, good economy, real estate shows, 
perform well, bad economy, comedy performs well. In all economies, alcohol performs really well. <laughs> alcohol and cigarettes. This has been a fascinating interview and discussion from you going from College Station to New York, the transition, the career transitions, your advice for best ever listeners. Is it your passion? Are you willing to only eat what you kill and talk to people, get other people's opinion about the transition and your skill sets? It's an exercise that I read in a book, 80-20 rule. I forget the author, but he has a similar exercise, and I love that. And then also knowing from very early on with the whole baseball card example, when is it time to sell and make sure that you're not left standing up when the music stops so thanks so much for being on the show i hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon all right you're the best thank you are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom the dwellin show with ola dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom go listen at www.dwellin.com dot com forward slash show that's d w e l l y n n dot com forward slash show